the reason I struggled to identify as gay was the Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. Precisely that. The, the, the Mardi Gras was my first introduction to my people. Um, I, I watched it on uh, my TV, my little, in my little living room in my small town. That was my first introduction to my people. The Mardi Gras. My people. <laughs> flaunting their lifestyle in a parade. And I used to watch it going, oh, there they are, my people. <laughs> They're busy, aren't they? <laughs> oh, don't they love to dance and party? <laughs> I used to sit there and watch it and go, where, where do the quiet gays go? Where, where are the quiet gays supposed to go? I still do. Like the pressure on my people to express our identity and pride through the metaphor of party is very intense. And don't get me wrong, I love the spectacle, I really do, but I never felt compelled to get amongst it. Do you know I'm a quiet soul? My favourite sound in the whole world is the sound of a teacup finding its place on a saucer. If I had any doubt going into Nennet that Hannah Gadsby was one of my people, it was completely erased at this point. And at that point, I said, all right, Hannah. All right, Hannah. Anything you have to say from here, I am on board. Yeah, this is when, uh, during the comedy special, that it just turned for me. And I'm like, oh, oh, I should listen more closely. She's she's like like me in, 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 in this way. Yeah. Like, I just totally got this. Yeah, I thought of, I thought of, people like us i thought of all of our marys there's that sense of like oh this is it's kind of like um you know it's like when we first kind of learned about sasha valor right Right. he's like something about this queen is just talking to me yeah co-signing our fantasy well then we saw that thing of what drag does and then that had the same effect as this of like oh you're a queen for my people yeah and hannah gadsby is a queen for our people yeah there's always uh there yeah and I, i feel like what what Nanette and what Hannah Gatsby is doing for me is she's uh, illuminating more truth mm-hmm. that I couldn't put into words. Yeah. Or maybe we have put into words, but she just does it so much better. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, I think this whole thing of like watching the Pride Parade, recognizing, oh, they're, so they're a busy bunch, aren't they? <laughs> and then it being okay that that's not your gig. You know what I mean? I, you know, I, I'm, I, I can't lie to you. I still struggle yeah. Uh, with the Pride Parade where people are like, oh, yeah, what are you going to do for Pride? It's like, w- well, I'm doing it now. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm, you're, you're looking at me living out loud. That's I'm doing it. Yeah. Like yeah. this year, I didn't do much for Pride. Just like last year, I just went on a long bike ride. I did the same thing this year. And the other thing I did, my coworker, she's in the Neo Futurists, which is this improv troupe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had only their queer members perform uh, 30 plays in 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the audience, like the way Neo Futurists works is like you choose which ones you want to hear. Right. And then they have a clock that counts down 60 minutes. And, you know, if they get through all the plays, they get through all the plays. Is that the one with the the throw the baby out? Yeah, the, yes. yeah. The baby went blind because of the light. It's uh, I, the baby th- throw out the baby with the blind. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. yeah, whatever makes the baby go blind. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Makes the baby go blind. <laughs> um, uh, jerking off. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Pink yeah. headband. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, respect them, angry lesbian. Um, no, it was so fabulous. It it um it energized me so much because I didn't have to necessarily 
interact if I didn't want to, and mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, but I, I the the plays weren't just funny. There was uh, one play where uh, they put on a song. It was this like heartfelt song, and the person sat there in a chair. And uh, it just had the names of all the trans people that have been killed in the past year. Mm -hmm. And the audience was supposed to read the names. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it went on for two minutes. Yeah. And people were in tears. And then, you know, the next skit was like... it was uh, like uh, each cast member talked about what their fetish was. Right. You right. Know? Well, and I think it's funny you mention that because I think that's kind of Nanette does that at points where it it takes you down a very intense, very heavy place. And then she manages to weave a joke in in a way that is not construed. That's not manipulative. Right. It's not like kind of using the fact that she's built all of this dramatic tension. She does it in a way. And we'll talk about when it happens where she she kind of gives you the explanation of how humor works and then she uses it in this expert way, like later into the show. Right. Brilliantly. Yeah. And so I just, I think that she, this whole thing has been showing us about kind of what you're talking about, about the levels of tension. Yeah. Oh, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You build it and then you break it you Mm -hmm. build it. And and she, Hannah Gatsby had the audience in the palm of her hand the Mm -hmm. entire time Um, you know and uh, when I think about the pride parade what I love so much about this is like it is kind of an intense metaphor right like Mm -hmm. oh we have to be a party all the time and it's almost like that's what straight people want to see and that was my first experience with seeing a pride parade in Chicago Um, I just most of the people watching were from the suburbs Mm -hmm. and they were straight yeah and I it wasn't that I wasn't uncomfortable. I still had a great time. I was with my like drag queen friend Garrett, and and it was fabulous. But I, it, 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 I, I was tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I identify as tired. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. tired, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, sure. There's the, all the little stereotypes and all of the different labels all march down the street mm-hmm. all the politicians and yeah it was just all high energy for eight hours and i'm yeah. like mm, this is not for me yeah it's not for me i can have pride and not do this but i still struggle yeah. i still struggle with it it reminds me of when i first moved to new york my first year it was in 2007 and i feel like 2007 new york was a was strangely different time i don't know why um but for marys who've been in new york during that time or since then maybe you can you can hear what i'm saying um that has nothing to do with the story, though. Uh, but I, that first year I was here, I I would go out with my, I, I worked for Condé Nast, you know, a million girls would kill for that job. Yeah. And so me and my, yeah, me and my lumpy blue sweater. And <laughs> I worked with all women and I had a couple of female coworkers and one of them was, she was the kind, she had seen Sex in the City and said, this is going to be my life. I might be 23, but I'm going to be Carrie Bradshaw now. And so it was a lot of like, being seen and going out and being friends with who, people who are promoters and going out in meatpacking and saying it that way. Oh, wow. And I'm like, no, I'm going to say the meatpacking district because I refuse to make the sacrifice internally to make the sacrifice externally of just saying meatpacking. Uh-huh. Like, I'm better than that. Right. And so uh, I kind of hooked on to that of like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. This is this is what living in New York is all about. This is what's fun. Going out to clubs. It's another label. List. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we would go to these clubs that are all closed now. And you'd get like $25 shots and everyone there was a douchebag. And it was, I mean, without going into great detail, it was a miserable experience. And I just kept waiting for it to be fun. And I was too young to realize that 
I could just leave. It it wasn't going to be fun, and that was okay. Yeah. And I could just go find my own fun. Where was Hannah Gadsby then? I know. You know? She was somewhere having a cup of tea yeah, with her dogs. Exactly. And that's where I should have been. Or feeling shame, right? <laughs> sure. sure. Well, you know, it just so happened I was there at that club feeling tons of shame because yeah. I just felt like the sore thumb, you oh, know? Oh, God. I, I, I can totally relate to that, that sore thumb feeling. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I... I love when she said, I love the spectacle. I do love the spectacle. I think we should be loud, proud, gay, whatever. But like, don't shame me or don't cast me out because I don't want to dance for eight hours and get drunk. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think that we're saying there's a right or the wrong way to be gay. Sure. We're saying there's all kinds of ways and we just want to exercise those rights. Yeah. um, Yeah. Without shame. Why don't we uh, tell our Marys what they're listening to? Well, they're of course listening to a very special bonus episode for all of our Marys of All Right Mary. All Right Mary. All Right Mary. Which of course is our podcast dedicated to all things Drag Race, the world of Drag Race, and the paradigm that RuPaul has created with this little BDB TV show. I'm Johnny and I'm tired. And I am Colin and I identify as an angry feminist. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Because of this bald head of mine and this pink headband. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, And this, of course, is the an episode we've been very excited to record and we've been talking about with our Marys for a few weeks. This is our recap or discussion on Hannah Gatsby's Nanette. Yes, it's a Netflix special. Uh, I don't know if it's available anywhere else. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure yeah. if you're in another part of the world, but uh, if you if you can't find it, find it. <laughs> we'll figure it out. I yeah. can say um, that now, because I'm all about full disclosure, we tried to record this episode a couple days ago and there was a technical difficulty and we lost a lot of audio. So I'm probably going to bring up things that I see said then and I may say I know I said this on Tuesday but it's because I can't feel like I'm self-producing got it you know what I mean so I know I mentioned this on Tuesday to you but and maybe to some of our Marys in a past episode but I actually had a ticket to go see Nanette here in New York at the Soho Playhouse where I had a play produced a few years ago um it's a relatively small theater it would have been a very intimate experience I it was for the weekend after I got back from Florida and I thought it was the weekend after that and oh so I didn't God. realize until the Wednesday, and by then it was too late. You missed out, Mary. So completely missed out. It's one of my greatest regrets that I did not get to have a cl- up close and, and live experience with Nanette. But uh, the fact that she was able to do this at the Sydney Opera House, oh yeah, and get it on Netflix, totally. is a happy consolation prize. Yeah, my friend Mary uh, from college went. And uh, she was in the actual recording uh, of the Sydney Opera House, and she said the whole audience was just with her. All yeah. of those people were with her the entire time. Yeah, yeah, that that sort of like you know when you can hear a pin drop. I feel yeah. like for the performer and for the audience, like that is it's an intense and like very gratifying experience. Totally, totally. Um, so Nanette, this special, uh, this comedy special, right? It was mm. funny. There was a lot of comedy, and what I think is so different about it is that she does comedy and then also dissects comedy mm-hmm. for us yeah. and kind of just uh, exposes it. Mm-hmm. And says, this is why this is. And right. this is also why it's not working for me anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we had talked about on Tuesday was there was a lot of comedians who were questioning Nanette. <clears throat> and who were, um, it's, it's either I cough into the mic or I cough away. <laughs> That's how it works here. Um, and basically questioning whether it actually was a comedy special. Oh, oh no, for sure. I mean, there, and most of those people are cis straight 
white right, men. Right, right. Yeah, it's like, well, no, it was fine. It's fine. But it's not comedy. Oh, yeah, but it's not comedy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it was, it was great what she did. It, it, it's not comedy. Right. It can't sit at the table with us. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? What did she say even about... Uh, Men like they're the ones that are allowed to be angry on stage, mm-hmm. right? They're the ones that are allowed to do that, and she's not. And what are they so angry about? Sure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. People feel safer when when men do angry comedy, like mm-hmm. they're heroes of free speech. Yeah. She says, right? Angry white man comedy, and women are hysterical, and yes, and, or an angry lesbian, of course, of yeah. course, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, what she says? What are they upset about? Canaries in the cave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They are canaries in the cave. I remember that. It was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. So I. Wh- what do you want to get into first here? Because um, uh, she talked. We we talked about the quiet gaze and yeah. how that kind of like brought us in. Well, I think let's let's kind of pause on because I I on the outset so much of this is about gender. I mean, it's about sexuality, but then it kind of unfolds further to be about gender. Sure. And I think an interesting place to start where that obviously intersects is talking about lesbian voices mm. and where we hear them and why we don't hear more of them. Right. Um, it Off the top of my mind, in terms of like lesbian voices I'm most familiar with, they're all in comedy. Oh, yeah, I Ellen. Think of Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. Um, and then I'm like, oh, uh, Hannah Gatsby. Uh, and, I'm, and why am I stuck? I know that, I mean... Elvira Kurt, you know, but sure. it's been years since I've seen Elvira Kurt, right. you know. Um, Tignataro. Yes, Tignataro. But again, it's like, okay, uh, I'm not discrediting. They, they all have incredible... Wanda Sykes. Yeah, they all have incredible careers. Sure. Um, and have acted outside of comedy, but it seems like comedy is like the entry point. Yeah, for them to have a voice, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of lesbians in academia, but in terms of having like a megaphone. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah of course. There are lots of lesbians with a voice who speak to a specific audience, but to have this level of fame, like this level of, of a platform, yeah. um, the fact that it's the fact that I can't think of anybody, and I feel like I'm pretty aware of the lesbians. Sure. Uh, it says something, yeah. and I get to get gays all day, right? You know, and I I think about um, those those naysayers of this isn't comedy, and I I immediately thought of, well, who else is kind of doing this or has done something like this? And I think first one I thought of was Margaret Cho mm-hmm. because she used to do those like laugh out loud comedy specials, mm-hmm. and a lot of the time it was making fun of her mother or making fun of herself and and whatever. Um, and then her special started to get more political, yeah, um, more and more and more and more. And the the, the biggest thing from the, the white gays that loved her were, oh, well, she's not funny anymore. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to sit through that. Yeah, she's not doing the kind of stuff I want to see her do. I and, wa- yeah, yeah, and it was just kind of like muzzling her voice, mm-hmm. and so she so she stopped doing it. Yeah. Um, the other uh, stand up comedy that I. I, I think is in line with this in the sense that it's like kind media and, and truth telling is Ellen's uh, stand up specials mm-hmm. um, that weren't just lesbian comedy. It wasn't, right. it wasn't about being gay. Like she makes those like two jokes in mm-hmm. the beginning yeah, and then she covers her quota. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. right, right. Mm-hmm. Because of the feedback. Yes. Of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, she just, she doesn't make fun of herself. Essentially. She just mm-hmm. kind of calls out, truths that uh will connect her to the audience right. right in the sense of like oh you know i have a banana peel in my right hand and in my left hand i have my my keys and i go to the garbage can and i throw out the keys and i keep the banana peel right and it's like oh i do that too oh my gosh right. this is oh i'm connected right yeah. oh my god nobody's ever said that before or right. oh i didn't know i was alone on that right and instead of pointing fingers and saying look at that stupid thing you do it's like isn't this the silly thing that happens to all of us right right like yeah. the the whole she has that whole bit about uh the cone or how 
how you're walking down the sidewalk and you trip and mm-hmm. you like you go for a little jog right, right. because yeah, yeah. you're worried that somebody's gonna look at you oh she tripped she tri- oh no she, oh she's just running oh, oh she's she- just running yeah, I love that one because it's so true I've done it for some variation of it and it, I think we, we've talked a lot about kind media yeah I think and I think Ellen is actually a really interesting example um, and not just her show because you know one of the things we talked about on Tuesday was feeling like a lot of contemporary Ellen on NBC or whatever is a bit straight-washed. Straight-washed, yeah. Um, but even her specials where she has more of a range, yeah, I think that she finds she finds a way to, to create kind media that's sustainable and still kind of accomplishes what comedy does. It does create tension in a way. I think the release comes from her calling out something that we all know we do and – and then by creating that sense of community and that sense of relief, the, the tension is released. Sure. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, she does that daily. Like, that is her job. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's interesting that the lesbians put on uh, daytime TV and all of the straight men get late night TV. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. The only late night uh, voice is Samantha, Samantha B. B. And yeah. she's not even on one of the main. No, she's on TBS. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and I and she's even you know been under attack lately. Yeah, uh, the feckless cunt comment. I know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I. But but with Ellen, I it, it I do feel like she has to you know please mm-hmm. a, a wider audience and can't go there all the time. Yeah, um, which is unfortunate. And I wonder, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Like, do you think that she is uh, that it is. Uh, stifling or is she actually creating more of a space for lesbians to be in mainstream media by not making it about her sexuality what is straight washing doing that's negative versus what's positive uh, i think it's a really good question because i think that there is this the one side is like oh queer folks queer entertainers want to have just as much of an opportunity on any platform even daytime television as someone who's straight yeah and it doesn't necessarily have to always be qualified by the fact that they are gay right. or lesbian, whatever. Yeah, um, I mean, aren't we... I mean, I guess many of us aren't, but like, there seems to be this this push in um, mainstream queer media to be like, oh, we're just like you. We're just mm-hmm. like you. And meanwhile, right. I'm standing there like, no, 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 no. Right. <laughs> we're not like I'm you. I'm not like you. And I, think, <laughs> and I think that's the other side of it is like, but on the flip side, I'm not just like you. And I don't want to be just like you. Right, and that's beautiful. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you we can't love each other and connect and right. find things to talk about. Yeah. I think what it kind of was, was it was this like rising tide of, we're just like you, and but the end of the sentence was more important, and so we deserve the same rights as you. That's right. But once that felt more firmly in place, and I realize you shouldn't take that for granted, then it was like, okay, but I'm actually very different from you. I'm just like you in the fundamental ways where rights should be applied. Right. Everything else should be open to interpretation. Sure. You know? Sure. Like, I'm a human being. I was created the same way you are. Like, all those things. And like, I'm quiet. And, yes. Right. Yes. And I don't know anything about fashion. Sure. Yeah, and I'm sure. not going to hold your purse. Yeah, and, or, exactly. Yeah, or, or I'm not going to, like, you know, joke around about girls with you, mm-hmm. you know? And even if those things were all true about me, I still deserve the same goddamn rights than you, you know? Right. Like, I still am the same as you. Sure. But... I think in 2018, there's also this feeling of, I don't know, of, of I think we're all feeling the sense of not being silenced in, in one way or the other, feeling the sense of like, I just need to make sure what is true for me is not getting lost because it seems like a lot of false things are becoming reality. Sure. And I think that's uh, one of the kind of tenets of her 
her comedy special is she she starts to call out things that we're not talking about and that we're just kind of accepting as truth. And the Picasso story mm-hmm. and the Van Gogh story, like that's she's she's like, no, 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 no. That's actually not right. That's that's, that's weird. Right. Yeah, why are weird. we why are we not accepting this? Like, why, why are we just why are we just accepting that he married a 17 year old girl because he said she's in her prime and so am I. Right. Like, that's not true. Especially now. I mean, I think there's yeah. it's understandable that there can be on any issue that there is a period of time where people have less awareness than they had before. Sure. That they have less education than they had before. Certainly in terms of things like consent and appropriate ages and power abuse and things like that, we are much more sensitive now than we were a couple of years ago. Right. And it, that, that, that being said, I, I never knew any of this Picasso stuff. I didn't know any of the story. And so like, there's also that element of like just not knowing that was a thing. Yeah. But then one, it, I think that's also been true in 2017, 2018 of like when you then learn about it, you don't then just deny it and resist it because it means you have to change the way you see the world. Right. You know, well, there's uh, there's that phrase cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Right. You learn about something that is like going against everything that you want or mm-hmm. that you originally thought. And you're right. like, oh, God, what do I do? It's like uh, this. The, the new straw. Thing, uh, oh yeah, the thing that's happening with straw band. Yeah, yeah. Stra- stra- straw band. 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 With the straw band, um, you know, there are people that are like, "What right. straws? I'm still gonna use it." Yeah, Ugh, and they like bite down on it. Like, I'm never gonna let go of this straw. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Don't take away my straws. It's right. like, okay, well, there's a cognitive dissonance going yes. on here. You don't see why that they're doing this. Well, and yeah. maybe they do, and they're like. But cubism, you know, right. but straws, right. you know, and they don't see the, the things that we need to evolve. Right. It's like, right. OK, but cubism and. <laughs> yeah. And, but what it really is, I mean, when it comes back to someone like Picasso or um, Kevin Spacey, Harvey Weinstein, you go down the line of any any man who's been convicted um, or accused is that. As Hannah Gadsby clearly points out, we are so concerned about their reputations. Right. We're so concerned about how we saw Bill Cosby as America's dad growing up in the 80s and the 90s. And it's like, who cares? Yeah, right. You know, there's, y- y'all never met a deadbeat dad before? Because a whole bunch <laughs> of us could give you a number. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's all, it's, it is all about kind of like how, how they are seen and, and his humanity and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But they're not talking about the individuals that they affected, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. their humanity. It's its all about their reputations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she says so wonderfully, she says, these men control our stories. Why are we not, cons- like, why are we concerned mm-hmm. about their reputation right. and, and not what they're putting out there? Yeah. 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 yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a toxic relationship that I think society has with men um, because men have written the rules. Right. And so they've they're written, the rule. Yeah. Right? So they have written in these rules that are inherently toxic, but only to one side. Yeah. I mean, they are technically toxic to men, but um, a lot of men are just asbestos. They're just poisonous people who, you know, don't absorb the toxins that they put out. You know? I, I remember having a discussion with my roommate in college about uh, Nabokov's Lolita. Mm-hmm. And she was like in a Russian literature class. She was studying Russian and she's just like, oh, my God, Vladimir Nabokov. Oh, my God, I love him. I'm a, I'm a Lolita is so amazing, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. she's like, you should read it. So I read Lolita. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, what the fuck did I just read? Why are we 
lauding this man mm-hmm. who wrote this story. Why? Wh- this is not a story that I need to ever hear again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, five words, call me by your name. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, uh, there are so many of my queer friends that saw that movie and were lauding how beautiful the the filmography is and the mm-hmm. colors and the dialogue and, and this beautiful love story. I'm like, oh, stop, love story? And I, I just didn't know why nobody... Nobody was calling out, call, call, call me, calling me by my name, yeah. no, calling by name. What what was going on? No here? one was calling this love story by its real name. Exactly, love story. Right. Which, I don't even want to. Right. Yeah. Which was sexual abuse. Yeah. So it's just mm-hmm. like I don't, I I I don't understand. I I actually, excuse me, I take that back. I understand the cognitive dissonance, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, no, this is. No, this is a love story. Oh no, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, I'm. I had. I just Marys may know. I my most recent episode of In the Details uh, was all about Call Me by Your Name, and um, I did not. I kind of knew what it was about going in, but I did not expect. I don't know why I didn't expect it. Talk about cognitive dissonance. It's like here's a love story between a grown man and a 17 year old boy. What could go wrong? I hear the right. scenery is amazing. Right. And I had that whole experience watching the movie of like. Nothing about this is consensual or romantic. I mean, I, I am every I, I because I took notes on it and talked about it. I had to watch that peach scene a couple of times when Oliver comes in and then he's playing with it and he's like threatening to eat it. And I was just like, and then and then oh well, and then when Elio starts crying, he says, "You're hurting me. Why are you why are you doing this? You're hurting me." And then Elliot or uh, Oliver says, uh, "Then stop fighting me." And I was like. To see totally to peace, to see people, so so then Elio starts crying because he's been traumatized, and then Oliver, because it's the sickest fucking relationship, is then the comforter of him, and then Elio's feeling all sorts of confused feelings. Now he's like, "Oh, I don't want you to leave." And I'm looking at the comments on YouTube of a clip of this, and people are like, "Oh my god, this is so beautiful!" Like he doesn't want him to leave. This is so romantic, and I was like, "No." Um, he's being profoundly manipulated, yeah, um, and used and abused right it's, now. It's insane. Yeah, it's insane. We're we're going off on a little tangent, but I think just to kind of snake back, we're talking about uh, like just kind of the the cognitive dissonances that that people uh, come across mm-hmm. and choose one way or the other, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the one that Hannah Gatsby brings up so well is well, first of all, Picasso, but she starts with uh, she starts with that story about the bus stop, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's maybe not a, it's maybe not cognitive dissonance here, but what she does is she takes this story and kind of uses uh, uses this as an example Mm -hmm. um, that she uses later on, right? Yeah, it's it's this interesting framework of like, first I'm gonna show you the joke version, and then I'm gonna explain to you how there's a difference between the joke version and the story version, and then I'm gonna show you the difference. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, and you know, uh, again, the comedy is he says, uh, oh, sh- you know, he, she's at the bus stop. The man wants to beat her up because she's hitting on his girlfriend. And she's like, oh, uh, it's a girl. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, I don't hit women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought you were a faggot trying to crack yeah, on yeah, my I girlfriend. Faggot cracking on my girlfriend. Um, That's not Australian at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I almost would do that again, but it's not worth it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so she so she tells that story and then she even um she brings up her coming out story to her mother as another example of uh you know story versus joke mm-hmm. because she stops in the in the middle of the trauma mm-hmm. instead of saying actually my mother and I are great now. Right, There's something funny right. about that. Right, because I think that you know when she talks about kind of 
gay comedy 101 it's telling the coming out story and it's kind of like making your parents kind of look like the boob you know and like how you've had to navigate their ignorance or navigate their their strange responses right um and yeah isn't that funny isn't that funny dealing with our kooky parents where it's like yeah the story of like oh yeah my my mom and i have a good relationship she gets it i mean she has that that incredible line of her mother saying like i'm so sorry i i raised you as if you were straight sure and i knew better but I just thought that, like, I knew the world wouldn't change, and so I just hoped you would. And I thought, oh, the, I think, I think what what's so interesting there is that the the joke version is meant to be relatable in that, like, oh gosh, we've all had to deal with these kind of awkward moments of coming out. Well, and I think laughing but, at yourself and trying to make light of something that was actually really hard is a coping mechanism. It's a I defense do, mechanism. But just to kind of make the comparison, but when she then tells the story of her mother and the full story, that's so much more deeply relatable. Yeah. There are so many parents who felt that way, even about their kid who wasn't gay, of just for whatever reason, because you're quiet, because you're fat, because you're weird, because you're too smart, because you're too creative, this world's going to be really hard on you and it's not going to change. Maybe you should try going into, you know, playing basketball. Maybe you mm-hmm. should go join the Boy Scouts, yeah, you right, know? right. Well, it's just that difference between comedy and why she wants to quit comedy mm-hmm. uh, versus storytelling, right? Where she feels now that storytelling is actually where the connection is going to lie. Whereas comedy, it seems like... I mean, as somebody that has experienced a stand-up comedy telling a really funny coming-out story, um, the trauma is funny because I can relate to it and I can uh, release and laugh. And as she describes, like, that's the whole point is mm-hmm. that she's ra- raising the tension and then releasing it. I mean, that's one way to cope. It's it's a defense mechanism as opposed to hearing the whole story mm-hmm. and connecting that way. It's just two different ways of connecting. Mm-hmm. It seems like, though, what... and in the comedy special, she kind of halfway through about spins, spins her kind of stance on its head when she's like, I'm quitting comedy and here's why. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's because, you know, she, she can no longer stop at the trauma and keep focusing on the trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, that's like a life lesson that I took from this, this idea that we have to stop focusing on the things that are hurting us. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they, then they will continue to hurt us. Whatever you focus on, that's what continues to be your life yeah. and your story. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes me think as well, because I think about Hannah Gadsby doing comedy and what comedy has allowed her to do and, and to the extent that it's allowed her to tell her story. And I think the way it's also kept her safe, because I think telling the full story is very vulnerable and is not... What I'm thinking of is there's this great short story collection called The Girl's Guide to Hunting and Fishing. I can't remember the author, but it's it's so good. I think it's from like the 90s. And so one one of the stories, I think it's like the title story, the main character has these kind of imaginary um, sort of advice columnists who are helping her in the world of dating. And at some point she's either talking to them or she's talking to somebody, but but the main character says something along the lines of like, when I, when I tell a joke, it's my way of asking you, do you love me? And when you laugh, what that means to me is yes. Mm. And I identified with that like, oh God, very deeply. I totally get what she's talking about, but I think that that applies here. I'm I'm putting this on Hannah Gadsby, but the idea that if you can leave them laughing, then you have some acceptance and some safety and whatever power. Version, yeah, and whatever version of, whatever uh, percentage of your story you told is safe in that container of 
the setup and the punchline. Right. Oh, but it was funny. Yeah. yeah. But if you tell the whole story with the ending and it doesn't leave them laughing, then you've just left this wide open space for people to choose how they're going to take in your truth. Yeah. And I think that's a huge risk. Yeah. So for her to say at the end, you know, I cannot keep taking care of my story on my own. Will you help me? Yeah. I think what she's saying is, can I stop making a joke out of it? And can I just tell you everything? And yeah. Is that okay too? Yeah. Just and let you feel the tension mm-hmm. and let you be with it because I'm living with it. Right. Right. And right. I think most queer people, minorities, women, like I think we get that. That mm-hmm. that yeah, we are walking around tense every mm-hmm. day. I think about when I walk into a straight straight bar, right? Even or when I walk into a gay bar, or I'm holding hands with some dude on the street. It's just like there is tension, and, yeah. and I think that happens mostly on like the subway, mm-hmm. right? Where like yeah, we are forced to mix between gay and straight, like and sit in the same car, mm-hmm. and I'm just like anything could happen right now. Yeah, and it is purely an element of survival and safety. I um, I feel like whenever I feel that way, there's that that anger of like I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm I'm hiding it or I'm, I'm making sure nobody's seeing it but it's like you can't beat yourself up about that safety first yeah it, it's because you've had evidence in the past that like it is risky yeah and, and she talks about it here is like yeah you you run a risk just by existing just right. by just by being improperly fem improperly gendered i think she says yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, we should unpack that uh, yeah. because uh, we talk about that all the time mm-hmm. this idea that actually you know, it wasn't necessarily that she was a woman hitting on the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It was that she was presenting as the wrong gender. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was exactly. It was that because uh, first there's that illogical thing of, oh, I thought you were some faggot hitting on my girlfriend. It's like, OK, you figure that one out on your own. Um, but then, yeah, when he comes back and he realizes, oh, the faggot thing wasn't even a problem. You're a lady faggot. Right. Now we've got a problem. Yeah. It's yes. I mean, I think that that is really the crux of this is that a lot of the discrimination she's facing or a lot of the problems she's facing, certainly growing up was homophobia and was homophobic points of view. But she kind of comes up into a world where it's like, okay, you may have you may have moved to Sydney. You may have like fucked off to Sydney, as they said, and, you know, Mm. packed up your AIDS and fucked off to Mardi Gras, I think was the line. Um But that certainly doesn't mean it gets better because now you're just out in a world that hates women. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And or, gays. And, right. And gays. <laughs> yeah. But like police is and police is gender. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's just so much hysteria mm-hmm. around gender. I guess hysteria is the wrong word. I mean, just so much violence and policing. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to the point we've talked about this before of gendering objects to mm-hmm. make men feel more safe. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like man bags and man buns and man purses and shampoo for men and mm-hmm. strong enough for a man, but made for a woman. And right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, we oh, what did we talk about on Tuesday that the, the, the romp him. Yeah. Romp him. Yeah. <laughs> romp yeah. him. I don't even yeah. know him. Romp him. Drag. <laughs> Him, rom Drag him, romp him. Yeah. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, but like, like rompers are super hot. Like I would. Oh my god. Fuck any guy in a romper. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know if they have a little like button flap in the back. Mary, you're always so concerned. <laughs> it's not for pooping. Let it be clear. Because <laughs> gay men don't poop. <laughs> not me. I'll tell you that much. But I mean, that's you know, yeah, we did talk about rompers on Tuesday because I said you know, women when they wear rompers, they have to get fully undressed in the bathroom yeah. to pee. So do men. Uh, well, that I wonder the, if they have like a zip fly. That was a question. I think, as I said, is do I have? Can I use the drive-up window, or do I need to go into the restaurant? My real question is, why can't a um, um, a dude wear a romper that's 
like what how did we gender this outfit it's just a way to sell it it's yeah. just another fashion trend mm-hmm. where they're selling it now to men well i mean they they do this you know because i work uh, i work for a, a health website and so we have a lot of pharmaceutical advertisers and i work on the sales side of things pharmaceutical companies do this all the time they just they just find another indication for the same drug yeah and so fashion does the same thing they're like well now we've made it okay for men to do this now we've made it okay for men to wear this right so same product there's just been some i don't know how it's done some cultural shift some uh pop cultural shift towards now this is acceptable yeah like i'm kind of i know that i don't need to wait for permission but i um I, I I do not bear the confidence right now to walk out in the world in a sarong um, or a or a caftan of sorts. But God, if I did, I would. You should just do it one day, Mary. I know. I just... should have done it when I was in Florida. <laughs> you should have. Oh, it would have been so much easier. God, just let it hang out, mm. Mary. Let it air out, as right. my mom would say. Yeah. Are you going to air it out today? Yeah, right. Like, you know. <laughs> it's like, you know I'm not wearing anywhere right now. You know? No, I mean, and I just feel like that would just, it would just would have hit Fort Lauderdale so much like more. Uh, less work um, <laughs> <laughs> So to speak So to speak um, We should talk about The pink headbands On bald babies Yeah um, You know I This always cracks me up um, But this idea that uh, People are so So sick and tired Of their beautiful baby girls Being mm. mistaken for a boy Right Or vice versa Right Because the minute you say Oh what's his name her name is Julia. Right. And then and then you know, oh, I'm supposed to compliment him on how tough he is right. rather than how beautiful and sweet he is. Right. When the thing, it, your baby looks like a ginger root in a stroller. Like, how am I supposed to tell <laughs> where it's a boy or a girl? Like, it's not about misgendering. I just can't tell from the context clues. Yeah. And, and I get, you know, it, it makes me think about the whole misgendering story that Hannah Gadsby talks about where she, you know, a flight attendant will accidentally say good morning sir and say oh ma'am ma'am i'm so sorry i'm Madam, so sorry yeah. and i the when she says you know it's fine it's fine i'm partial to a holiday yeah. and she points out that in that moment it's a nice break yeah when she's mistaken for a straight white male well male certainly always white but a straight male her life gets demonstrably easier yeah just in that moment yeah and you know she wouldn't do it if you paid her but even though the pay would be better right right says. yeah yeah um but yeah it it's so interesting to me that that she yeah she will experience that difference um but with babies and even with dogs i have a cat and the cat's name is a girl's name mm-hmm. and he's a boy uh or a male um and yeah people apologize yeah when i'm like oh yeah isn't he cute they're like oh he oh my god i'm, oh so, my god, sorry. I'm so sorry even if they never <laughs> said she they were thinking it it's like my cat does not care it's crazy to me it's it's crazy to me and i it's that it's that separation of gender so early mm-hmm. as babies yeah. that is modeled and I, I I just just to go on a little tangent of uh, with my niece my niece is seven back when she was around four okay four years old mm-hmm. how many months is that right like forty eight months yeah but like. <laughs> Three and four, like, baby kids are sponges. Yeah. Sponges. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm playing with her uh, dollhouse. Um, it's like this, you know, uh, cute. It's not like your typical, like, wooden dollhouse. It was like, you know, a newish one with mm-hmm. plastic. Sure. Did it have <laughs> stairs? It had an elevator. Oh. Yeah. Where do these people live? 
<laughs> what? So anyway, inside the house, there's, you know, like a boy kid and a girl kid. And there's, uh, you know, a, a male. There's two males and two females, like uh, just like adults. Mm-hmm. And they all live in this house together, you know, because mm-hmm. I guess like, you know, she had one family and then there was another family, quote unquote, mm-hmm. of, of uh, heterosexuals. Um, so anyway, so I'm playing with her and I... Uh, I, I, I just, just I said, oh, yeah, here's the daddy and here's the other daddy. And this is their kid. And, oh, this is daddy's sister. It's suggesting Dottie's sister. this is Dottie's sister. <laughs> and I'm Dottie. This is Dottie. <laughs> she just had you and bought a dog. <laughs> this is daddy's sister. <laughs> so, yeah, this is daddy's sister. And she she got so upset. She started crying. Because it wasn't a mommy and a daddy. She's like, no, it has to be a mommy and a daddy. It has to be mommy and a daddy. And I'm like, what? First of all, what has this little girl experienced Mm -hmm. where it has to be a mommy and a daddy? And second of all, why is she crying? Yeah. Why is she? uh, She's four. And I, I, you know, I... I, even the same way in this in the same breath not not too long ago um, I was putting moisturizer on in the mirror and my niece is watching me because she follows me around when I'm home mm-hmm. and she or at my mom's house and she's like what are you doing I'm like oh, I'm just putting on moisturizer she's like moisture that's for girls and I'm like no it's for boys it's yeah. for boys and girls mm-hmm. and she's like no it's for girls I'm like go ask your mom yeah and so she like runs off doesn't ask your mom and then the next moment I had with both of them together I said to my sister, I said, so, hey, Nance, uh, you know, boys and girls wear moisturizer, right? Mm -hmm. And she's like, yep. Just just to make sure that she, I mean, where is she learning this? Well, that's my question because it's like, you know, oftentimes, you know, I'll go to this place. A lot of us go to this place of like, where are this kid's parents? Who's raising this child? What are they teaching them? And it's like, I definitely. all over commercials. Yeah, because I have the sympathy. Parents can only, they can they can do a lot and they have a profound influence. But as soon as you send your kid to school. You go to Target mm-hmm. and there's the girl section and the boy mm-hmm. section. Yeah. Yeah. You let them, you let them play a game on, on the iPad or watch a cartoon or watch TV. Or as soon as they're at some other kid's house. Yep. It's kind of like, well, now they're at the whims of that point of view and i guess you can kind of just try to reinforce like here is the dominant point of view that we believe in yeah but i i think there's only so much you can do then when say your kids are at school five days a week and with their other friends all day you know it's you know i would love a world where the princess culture was marketed to boys also yeah because Mm -hmm. like "Mm, yeah okay princess culture i don't love the damsel in distress you know stuff like i don't like any of that but like princesses are fabulous sure oh Uh, (laughs) princesses are the best supporting actresses of the royal community well you know we love princess peach you know oh on a bike yeah as a baby yeah (laughs) um yeah but so i i I just wish that was our world uh and you know more and more boys are dressing up like princesses and Mm -hmm. it's, it's fine and girls are dressing up as you know whatever truckers or sure. <laughs> firefighters yeah, and firefighters police officers. Yeah, yeah yeah scientists which there are female firefighters female My police God. officers exactly. this isn't crazy it's in it's in their children's books it's everywhere where we yeah. need to start to change these mm-hmm. signs that all these kids are getting i mean by the time my niece was three she had an ipad i mean yeah. it's just so messed up yeah and i loved her her point uh hannah gatsby's point of this idea that like men and women have actually more in common mm-hmm. than differences and so by separating these children into quote-unquote opposing teams so Mm -hmm. early on they're not developing the skills to see themselves as equal Mm -hmm. because you have and we'll get to the gay versus straight thing later but like in terms of gender 
I mean, girls learn right away that they're in this lane and the boys are in this lane. Mm -hmm. And anybody that wants to change lane is weird. Yeah, we have a problem here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. It's one of the things that I like, you know, with gay friends, with other gay men in my life, is I I enjoy when it's he or she. When it's just like, oh, she's over there doing that. Yeah. I like that because to me, that's just recognizing it's just it's. It's doesn't playful. Matter. It doesn't matter to me calling calling someone by she or you know referring to them as oh she's you know I, I love her or whatever. It's, she's gonna be a lot. Yeah, it's a she's term of endearment. It's yeah. a term of like we're we're a community. We're yeah. in this together. You're a sister, right? You know, it's like yeah, you're a brother too. But I I feel like sister resonates more. Yeah. Um, to me, oh, we're brothers. It feels um more more masculine in a way that I'm not. Uh huh. Other gay men that may speak to to me, my closest gay friends, good Judies, sisters, all kinds of feminine Marys. things. Marys. Marys. <laughs> Marys. Jesus, how long was it going to take to get there? Mary. We are all Marys We're all here. Marys. I can't yeah. believe that. <laughs> Even our straight listeners. You oh, know, oh, straight you're, male listeners. Yeah, Mary, yeah. Mary doesn't care what you put where. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're still a Mary. That's right. You may put nothing nowhere. You're yeah, still a Mary. exactly. You're still mm-hmm. a Mary. Hey, Mary. Hey, Mary. <laughs> all right, Mary. All right, Mary. Um, yeah, I... I just wanted to point out her line the men are from Mars women are for his penis mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which was just a, another brilliant kind of like comedic dig right it's like she says like lesbians are just like women who don't find men funny oh right yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, oh uh, yeah lesbians are women that don't laugh at men right 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 oh you need a good cock in you yeah. <laughs> good dickin good dickin yeah uh, I'm never gonna get an Australian accent uh, in this episode I'm gonna keep going Irish or Southern but I have to pause and say that anytime we talk about Australian accents it reminds me of there was this TV commercial for you know McCain's they do like the like the frozen fries and things like that oh maybe uh, you what you, okay well there's a brand called McCain's they do frozen foods okay, I know Aura Ida it's similar to that uh, and Alex, um, Alexi she's Alexis. yeah she's still too bougie um, <laughs> but when I at least when I was in Australia the it takes um, so long to make those it's like 24 minutes in the oven I'm yeah. like I I got time for that. <laughs> Eight minutes, please. Yeah, I went where the quick, quick fries. Where the quick fries. So the McCain's ads, their their tagline was this really Australian guy going, and I hope I can do it right. Oh, McCain, you done it again. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, McCain, you done it again. And I always love that so much. Who's McCain? What did he do again? So anyway, I just needed an opportunity to say that, everybody. Oh, God. <laughs> um, you know, I love uh, this line that I feel like is spoken, sorry, not spoken, yelled at at many uh, women is like, if you hate men so much, why you try so hard to look like one? And then she says, uh, she responds so beautifully, like, because you need a good role model right now, fellas. Yeah. Like, straight men don't have... Uh, the the big role models I feel that that, that like they need that, that yeah. are doing good work that are doing kind media that mm-hmm. are are filling the world with joy you yeah. know you know who I think is an incredible straight male role model right now Terry Crews he is in terms of the Me Too movement I mean he has his own experiences and he has bucked every trend every threat every derision towards him as as this big muscular powerful straight man black also which yeah. i feel like is uh is a factor in 2018 has always been a factor but certainly now um and and goes beyond all that and says no this is my truth this is what's important this is what matters and and it's funny because like on i think on reddit there's like a subreddit called like cruise crew or something like that and it's just this like incredibly talk about kind media talk about like a supportive community um 
And it's not to take away from all of the women who are speaking up in the Me Too movement, but I think in terms of having a straight male role model of a, of a straight man who I think is uh, good for the straights these days, is yeah. good for the gays, good for the Jews, he's good for the straights, is Terry Crews. I, okay. I'm so kind of... Um, happy to see people like that sure you know yeah um, i hear you who aren't doing it for any other reason than it's the right thing to do yeah and i think about gay role models that are not being bitchy mm -hmm. um there's one thing to be said about reading right where it's like okay we're in a safe space this is reading um and it's just expected mm -hmm. but uh you know it it's almost the default and we've talked about this before the default mm -hmm. between gay men is like oh yeah you make a joke about your appearance mm -hmm. and it's just you know it's like oh ha 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 right and if you call them out and be like hey that was mean mm -hmm. the response is well lighten up right and a lot of times what happens is you have to endure um, a reading session until they they give you permission to say okay joke now we're just laughing right I've had that in situations where it's like can we stop like how many like nasty things do I have to come back with till we can just be nice to each other yeah and I don't do the nasty thing anymore no I, I literally will like send send something loving back or I would uh, show a sign that like hey I don't like that that's not yeah. how I operate mm -hmm. and it takes a while um, mm -hmm. and sometimes people are just like not into it it's like oh no I'm just bitchy mm -hmm. I'm just mean it's like yeah. okay well then you can be mean over there mm -hmm. and every single time you come for me like I'm I'm not going to have it like yeah. it's it's uh, you've, at some point you are going to feel like you are bullying me mm -hmm. and it's yeah. and it's not a way to connect with me mm -hmm. um, and uh, anyway back to the role model I love queer eye. Mm -hmm. I just love Queer Eye because they are uh, being nice to everybody. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't watched more than I think the first episode. And I know there's, it's worth watching. I just, I don't know. I've been holding back probably for my own bullshit reasons. Um, yeah. You know, and I know it's like, it's so uh, you know up the alley for, you know, All Right Mary in terms of kind media, in terms of positive representations of gay men in the media. Um I know that it's not just fairy godfather syndrome. It's not. I know that it's no. not that anymore. Um, there was a uh, a trans person on, I think, episode two or three mm -hmm. of the second season um, who did an interview. And, of course, it was, like, clickbaity mm -hmm. um, in this interview that said, like, trans person says what it was really like with the queer eyes. Yeah, you won't believe it. And yeah. you won't believe it. Actually, uh, the person said, um, he said it was, like, that what you see on TV is only a portion and that it's much better mm -hmm. that they are talking to each one of them talks to you for hours yeah mm -hmm. and is with you for hours and connecting with you and 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 helping you and mm -hmm. and being being a, a peer and not yeah. even just uh this is how you, oh you should dress like this it's no i'm actually coming in here to be like hey what do you like what are your goals mm -hmm. what do you this is what i like and they they learn about each other mm -hmm. it's not just one direction and i think uh one direction mm. um there's um karamo he uh he he went on a journey last season mm -hmm. um, with the cop. Oh yeah, I'd read about that. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, you. You also watch the queer eyes have stuff come up for them. Yeah, and it is so beautiful to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, especially somebody like Jonathan. I just, I think. I love Jonathan so much because he is unabashedly himself. I don't think that's put on. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think he is this gorgeous fairy with long hair mm -hmm. that is happy. And when he's not happy, he's not happy. Right. I think to put that on would be wasting a golden opportunity. Sure. You know, if that's who he is, then great. I think of Ross Matthews. This That is who he is. Yeah. Th there's th That voice is not fake. Right. Um, I, I think that... Um, 
there's a part of me and I'm not I'm not digging at queer eye, but I guess I go to this place of like I'm really happy to see positive representations of gay men on television. I'm probably getting stuck at like, why does it have to be a queer eye? It's it's this it's this conflict, right? We talked about this on Tuesday where like and I think I've emailed with uh, a Mary or two about this of that. There's a part of me that doesn't need it to owe everything to be qualified by by your sexuality. And then there's a part of me that really appreciates and feels very precious about annexed gay culture. Mm-hmm. I don't even but I don't necessarily think queer eye is even annexed gay culture. I I just feel like it's. I haven't watched the new one. I'm not really talking about that. I'm just saying so I when to me it's feeling like something that is queer culture for not just for straight people. I don't know. I have con- I have conflicted feelings about it. I feel like the ki- the, the people on the show are not just straight. I which know is that. a start, yeah. right? And that's, that's a, a big deal. I I like that they work with a gay man or the trans person. Yes. I think that's great. And women. And that, I think that's great too. Yeah. I do. I um I probably need to watch it before I form an opinion, but these are the things I'm dealing with before I watch it. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there, I have issues with it, but as a whole, I feel like as a piece of media, it, I think of Nanette and I think of Hannah Gatsby in the sense that it is rejecting what is expected, mm-hmm. right? I'm actually not going to read you. Right. And, and that I love. I love seeing a different version of, of, you know, here's a different representation of being gay. Yeah. I think there's so much about representation that I I don't think I really appreciated. I think I've benefited from seeing representation. I think I've I've appreciated it when I've seen gay men or gay stories that reflected back my own. Mm. I see the value of it. But I feel like I see on a global level now in the last year or two the importance of representation across all kinds of groups. Sure. And it's like I... I'm glad that that side of of being gay is being represented. Um, I guess I, maybe the sticking point is that I think there's a lot of people that really believe they they still just see gay men as fairy godfathers, mm-hmm. and I think that as good as as this show is doing, it's still gay fairy gay fairy godfathers. Yeah, I get it. You know, it, I get it, it. It's still that. Like that's essentially what they're doing. I get it. Um, but I don't want to, you know, knock the efforts just because of that. You sure. Know? I mean, yeah. You look at uh, Pose, mm-hmm. right? And here we are having this great platform for for trans actors and mm-hmm. trans characters. And they're in balls. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, acting fabulous. And they're doing this. And, and they also do drugs. And they sell their bodies. And mm-hmm. it's just like, okay. Sure, sure. And, and then, yeah, it's like... That you know, I think Pose would be. I, there's so many things we want to cover on All Right, Mary, and, and <laughs> would love to cover Pose more fully. Um, and maybe at some point we will. But I think there's that that conflict with Pose of, I'm so glad to see a show with uh, a, a largely cast of people of color, trans actors, like all of that, been picked up for a second season. Yeah, it's tough. The fact that we still have to see them in kind of situations that you expect but then it's like okay but that's exactly how it was totally i mean it's a glammed up version on pose yeah. but like that those were the terms and conditions at that time right you know all right mary uh, we just need to take a little break there um i think we can kind of transition here into uh the discussion of um humility versus humiliation mm-hmm. um that uh, the line that she draws here as a marginalized person, when you get up on stage and you tell jokes, uh, it's actually not being humili- humble. It's mm-hmm. it's humiliation. Yeah. She's putting herself down in order to speak. 
in order to seek permission to speak. And we, I think we kind of mentioned that with like straight washing and to have uh, a voice at the table, mm-hmm. quote unquote, you, you need to constantly be putting yourself down. It's like, oh, yes, I'm gay. Oh, yes. Oh, look how gay I am. Right. Well, I think the important clause there is that as a marginalized person, because when I think about a straight white male comic making fun of himself, I think no problem here. Yep. I'm the, go for it. Yep. What else you got, go, buddy? Exactly. Yeah. Read her, drag her, right. you know, <laughs> right. romp him, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I think there is that thing of like, I think that you can be self deprecating. I don't know. I'm just going to say this and see how it sounds. I wonder if that's different. If you have a, a completely queer audience. Oh, it's like you're safe in the room. Mm -hmm. I still think it's the same thing because, again, we're connecting over how we Mm self-deprecate. And can can we not connect over something else? Yeah. Um, No, totally. I mean, that's kind of the whole Ellen thing is can – are there other ways to do comedy? Yeah. I think – I mean, I think that in – I think that self-deprecation – I still – I mean – I think a lot of this is specific to Hannah Gatsby. I do think if self-deprecating humor speaks to you or is a release for you or if you find that that communicates it, I think it's worth analyzing what it might be taking away. Sure. But if you can truly say to yourself, no, I'm in a secure enough place that I can make fun of that. Right. Then, then go for it. Yeah, if no you one... can't laugh at yourself, how are you going to laugh at anybody else? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I think the key here for Hannah Gadsby is that she saw this as permission to speak. I think that is right. like the linchpin. Right, Is that she thought this was the only way she could she could tell her story. Based on, on how she was raised. And of course, I think many of us can relate to that. This mm-hmm. idea of like, oh, I... I can only speak in this meeting if dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot, or right. actually in my house, because I was the gay boy and the youngest, mm-hmm. I, uh, my opinion only mattered if. Sure. Sure. Or just that I, I don't want to make too much of a scene. I don't want to make waves. I don't make waves. I don't, I, I, or certainly like in situations where you're not out of like, okay, I need to make sure that I am maybe instead of like feeling confident in how straight I'm acting in my sort of normal level of interacting, I'm going to interact less. I'm going to participate less. I'm going to exist less. Well, so, yeah, I don't ha- so I don't have to modify too much. Exactly. You, know? you, you make yourself more invisible mm-hmm. so that you're not visible, right? Because right? right. you, you would stick out too much, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. why um, as a teacher, I, I would always recognize the quiet kids in the class because obviously the first kid you listen to is the one that's raising their hand and the, mm-hmm. the, the kids that are causing trouble in the, the second row. But like you look at the quiet kids that are also in class that are also learning and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, why are you disappearing right mm-hmm. now? Yeah. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to make sure that I make eye contact with you. Yeah. Like yeah. that, those are the ones you have to kind of like keep a very close eye on. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's, you have to read the nuances of right. kids like that. Yeah, and yeah. those kids are always the ones that tell me at the end of the year that didn't say anything for the entire year. Mm-hmm. You changed my life. I love you so much. This was my favorite class. Yada, yada, yada. I'm like, right. oh, okay. That's because we connect and I see you. Right. Well, now more than ever, that whole idea of like, if no one sees you, do you exist? Right. I feel like now with the internet, with social media, it's even to the point of if you post someone something and nobody likes it or comments on it, did anyone see it? Yeah. Did anyone read it? Does it does it even matter what I have to say if nobody liked it, if no one validated it? My God, it's such a it's so toxic, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a total false reality. Oh, all of it. But and yet, and yet, what's nuts about that? I agree. It's a completely false reality. But I think and I'm not going to just restrict this to younger people. I think it's it's more a part of their lives because they came up with it. But for everybody at any age, 
it isn't a false reality anymore. It's become more of a reality. Sure. It's become their reality. There are some people that their entire life, I, there are people their entire life exists in that second life game. Uh huh. I mean, I remember seeing this documentary about this woman who's living in her family's basement. She's, I think she was in her mid-40s, and she is in the, in the whole second life world. She is a designer for outfits for people's characters and, and sells it for real money. Their characters? So second life is like a... It basically okay yeah I, when you said I, second life i'm like oh after 50 oh no so I, I don't i don't fully get it so mary's who are second lifers i'm not reading it either I, I don't know much about it but I, essentially it's like a computer world where you have a oh. character that you create and you exist in okay. you can have relationships in there oh and it's other people you know it's kind of like interactive video games sure but and, you're somebody new but you're somebody new you've okay. created your own avatar sure who is as similar or different to you as you want okay and so obviously you know these characters have Outfits and things, and so she designs outfits that people can oh, buy for wow. their characters, like an in-app purchase on I Candy get Crush. It. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. She's making, like, I think it was like a hundred and forty-five thousand dollars a year. Holy fuck! Yeah, she's making like a solid career doing it. Oh my but god! But because, like, for whatever reason, I think she's had a, had a rough, you know, series of things happen in her life that just kind of moved her into that basement and kept her stagnating there. And she found solace in this world. Mm. And now this is where her life is. Sure. Her life is not out in the outside world. Right. Her job isn't there. Her friends aren't there. But she still exists. She, But she still exists. Yeah. But for a lot of people, I don't think it feels that way. I think it's only, you only exist in that world. Right. You know, on YouTube or, you know, whatever. Whatever form of social media that you, like, wow. connect on. Wow. If you can't make it in the world. Make it in the second make world. Make another world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. That's... That's that's incredible. Yeah. And you think about how the advancements in virtual reality. Right. And how that puts you even more into that 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 place. How could people resist? And then and then if you tie it to like Especially if you're a, a certain type of person. Yeah. Right? yeah. And and then you think of things like you you think of okay, well you've got your entertainment covered, boundless amounts of content and opportunities. There are technology and sex is an incredible intersection. The things you can do with technology to get off are amazing uh -huh. and so i think that meets that need you can get any food delivered like you can you can ostensibly create a life this way yeah. and live it okay yeah well i mean just the idea of um people that people that depend on that validation right from mm -hmm. social media likes and the idea of not existing and i, I think what hannah gatsby's story is interesting is that her feeling of uh, of invisibility came from the fact that she grew up in such a homophobic area. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that I think that whole part was really interesting where she talks about essentially like these influences of growing up in the Bible Belt of Tasmania. Yeah. They they took effect and they started, you know, soaking her in shame before she had any cognitive realization of it. Right. Like, what, what does she say? She says, um, you know, I've been learning the art of tension diffusion since I was a children. Right. Back mm -hmm. then it was a survival tactic. She was the tension and she's tired of it. Yeah. She's tired. Of, it's making her sick. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's all kind of in response to this idea of humility versus humiliation. She's mm -hmm. like, no, no, no. When you are writing a joke, you have a setup and you have a punchline. And, um, you know, mm -hmm. she's she's sick and tired of creating that tension. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if she said it or if it was just a note I took. But, like, 
the concept of like punchlines need trauma. Oh, she does say that. Yeah. I thought yeah. I'm not brilliant enough to come up with that. Right. No um, way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's great is when gays don't read each other and they're just nice. It's such a refreshing experience. <laughs> Fucking cunt. Um, so, uh, yeah. Don't be so sensitive. <laughs> that's not a that's not a Light, either. Lighten up, Don't Mary. be so sensitive. Don't be so sensitive. Don't be so sensitive. Uh, you need to lighten up, yeah. Mary. Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you need a good dickin'. Yeah. Well, uh, try as one may. Okay. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that like what really resonated with me from that is she has a line somewhere towards the end of the show where she says, I will never flourish. Mm. And what it made me think, but I was thinking about this today, because this wasn't, we talked about that on Tuesday, but I started thinking about it in a different way today. And I started thinking, essentially what she's saying is that there are some traumas that just, not that you don't recover from, but you never quite fully, you never quite fully bounce back from. Right. And much like grief and the whole idea of the rock in your pocket, um, that it may get lighter, but it never goes away. And I was just thinking that in terms of trauma. Uh, do you feel that that's also true, that trauma doesn't go away, it just gets easier to live with? I mean, I, uh, as as someone who has been through my own trauma, uh, yeah, I, that is the rock in my pocket that actually, oh, I will be unloved. Or actually, what am I doing in this life? Mm -hmm. Or am I really going to still be fucked up when I'm 50? Mm -hmm. You know, and you think it, it's sometimes it gets so heavy and you're like, Oh my God, that was my life. Yeah. That was, you know, when you, you go back to that and uh, how am I going to get better? Mm -hmm. Am I going to flourish? And the answer is, is of course you are, you have to, or you will die. Yeah. And it's like, I look at my life now and I, I celebrate because I'm like, okay, yes, here I am. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I'm still here. I can't believe what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and yes, you will flourish. Uh, but there is that worry that you won't yeah. because of the trauma. It, it does weigh on you. It does dampen you. And mm -hmm. you have to find ways to, to brighten it. Well, I think that, you know, when, when she says, you know, I will never flourish, I think, but isn't that what you're doing right now? You are flourishing so greatly. You are you are telling your story. You are creating a movement. You are, I mean, in a way that you are speaking to people in a way that is so new. You are doing something with comedy that so many people haven't seen before. Um, like, the effect that she's had, I mean, the feedback we've gotten from Mary's, the feedback that I've seen online, like, this to me is just like the definition of flourishing and I'd love to see if she'd have a different take on it at some point because it seemed like maybe she would never flourish with the model of just doing comedy. Yeah. And this seems like, I think that, yes, I think the scars never go away. I think the information the trauma gives you never goes away because I think that there is good that can come from it as well. You know, I look back at like, my parents had a very tumultuous uh, marriage, divorce, post-divorce. I was very present for most of it, for, is more of it than I should have, but that was just the way life was. You know, you live in a war-torn country, you're going to get some stray bullets every once in a while coming through your living room, you know? And that was just the way our life was. And, you know, I know that my mother feels a lot of guilt for the way things were and, and wishing she could have, you know, done things differently or wishing she'd never even met my father and like has said repeatedly the only good thing about that was you and your brother but like I know that like she still feels a lot of responsibility and the way that I see it is like yeah it was really traumatic and 
my father fucked me up in a lot of ways like that I'm still working on. And I don't see myself as a victim of that, though, because growing up in that world and growing up witnessing all of that and being an adult at the table at a very young age to all of that has fully informed who I am now. Sure. It's fully informed, like, so much of the positive in my life, so much about what I like about myself. And you're perfect. Yeah. I'm beautiful. I look like Linda Evangelista. Yeah, I'm a absolutely. model. I'm sitting yeah. here in a diaper right now. Exactly. So... <laughs> I think that's an interesting side is like the way that trauma. But in I mean, life... I, I just just oh. to go back, I you are perfect. Oh, I thought you're just being shady. No, again. not no. at all. Mm-hmm. Like I, I meant that like we're, we're both perfect. Sure. Because oh, yeah. of our traumas, because yeah. of what we've I mean, we we ha- we are perfect. This is yeah. this is who we are now. This is it. Yeah. And I just I have no regrets, honestly, because I just think that like the way I see the world and how that has influenced what I say on this podcast, what I write, the conversations I have with people, I would never see the world that way if when I if I didn't experience what I did from the ages of nine on. Yeah, I think it wasn't until I started, I started being able to uh, talk about my own sexual abuse uh, outright without shaking mm-hmm. that I felt a change and a shift. Yeah, um, and. It was either with my therapist or something I did was practice talking, just speaking out loud when I'm alone. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have to just practice talking about it mm-hmm. and, yeah. and speaking it. Um, Sometimes it's just a matter of taking it out of the the tornado of your mind and putting it on paper. And the idea that she took this moment to be like, yeah, what I told you before was the joke. But here's the fucking story. Yeah. And I need to leave you with this. Yeah. I that totally resonated with me because it's like I for years have been saying, yeah, you know, I've I've, I've been freaking people out since 1998, mm-hmm. you know. Right. But that's the but that, like that's the that's the tr- that's the joke. That's the packaged up. Version exactly. Of. Yeah. But yeah. really what the end is. Oh, yeah. That's because that's when I started being sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and that. Yeah. It's it's like when she says, um. Oh, you know, I, I I wouldn't hit a woman, and but then she and she follows him and says, but then he came back and realized, right. oh, but a lady faggot, I can. It's like that extra thing. What's interesting is something like that, like, but that was the year I started getting abused, or then he realized, and then he did beat the shit out of me. Is when you think about the tension that that then creates. It's this like, it's this phantom wave of tension, you know, to to bring in the Poseidon adventure. Uh-huh. Um, but it is, it is this sudden phantom wave of tension, and I think. Like thinking, like she leaves you with that tension yeah, on purpose. Yeah, right. If mm-hmm. I were to tell my story, which now I guess I fucking have, mm-hmm. that like I'm leaving you with that tension. Really, the release of the tension is for you to figure out, but also the fact that I'm still talking. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That I'm that I'm actually here. And when she talked about how from 1989 to 1997, like that was her adolescence, and that's when she internalized all her homophobia and she hated herself, right? And then for ten years after that. It took her that much longer to realize that she was allowed to take up space in the world. Yeah. I don't know how many other people can fucking relate to that, whether you're queer, whether you're a woman or whether you've experienced trauma. But like it took me years, Mm -hmm. years to be like, okay, that fucking happened. Mm -hmm. And then another amount of years, 10 plus years to be like, and and actually I, I I'm not totally damaged like i'm not Mm -hmm. i'm not worthless right right like you start to 
create some, in a way, some like healthy cognitive dissonance from the lie that that tell that that your abuse defines who you are or happened because of who you are. Right. If we want to talk about that whole being picked off the pack line. Yeah, oh my god, I that line fucked me up because yeah. that is something that I once a week will will go back to is like why was I picked mm -hmm. at you know at such a young age it's like why was I picked off of the pack like that yeah what is it about me you know and mm -hmm. it, it 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 I'm not special yeah it's actually not just me it's so many oh. people <laughs> yeah oh my god it, to the point that like I, I what I'm trying to say being abused doesn't make you special. Right. It makes you part of the norm yeah, in a way. It's unfortunate. In one way or the other. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. I think that the whole idea of feeling picked off the pack, I mean, I started getting bullied starting in sixth grade, you know, and, and it started, it was this terrible coincidence that I had come to the realization that I was gay, had figured that out, and at the same time had gotten to a fight with a friend of mine who then started telling everybody I was gay. Oh, wow. And it converged at the same point. I started getting routinely made fun of. All the boys rejected me. There were the girls. Uh, and so I always have a seat at the table for straight women because they have always been my allies yeah. my entire life. That's right. And starting in sixth, I mean, certainly in sixth grade, my mother's been my ally my whole life, but um, certainly starting in sixth grade, uh, you know, I then started sitting with the girls in, at the cafeteria at lunch. And of course that just upset the boys even more right. where it was like, Oh, you're not acting like a boy. Yeah. Well, and it was this bizarre thing of like, oh, are you just hanging out with the girls because you're gay? And it's like, you know, the illogical situation here is that I'm sitting here with all the girls and you're over there farting around with a bunch of bo teenage boys. Who's the faggot now, faggot? Yeah. You know, right. and that's the place I would get to. Sure. Um, but of course it was like, no, I'm the faggot. <laughs> I'm the faggot. I mean, you're the, the Mary. I'm the Mary. And I and so what I basically did was I had kind of. I had sort of inarguable proof that like there was something wrong with me because I was gay. Right. And I was getting evidence of it every single day, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, into high school, went to all male Catholic high school, was a shit show there. I mean, there was no way to unlearn this idea that there was something wrong with me. Right. And that it was, and it wasn't, I never rejected myself for being gay. I never wanted to be straight. I, I was like, I leaned full in. I was like, gay porn, let's find it. I didn't waste any time. But I definitely then saw myself as anywhere I go, any even into New York, on the subway, into a restaurant, no matter what, I am going to be made fun of. Mm. I'm going to be noticed and derided in some way. I carry that around with me every single fucking day, including today. Yeah. You feel like people are looking at you. Yeah. And that rock may get smaller. It's never going to go away. Sure. And we just have to live with that. Yeah. And, it, and, and eventually celebrate it. Sure. Because I guess the other side of it is like, I always have to remember this too, is maybe they're looking at you because you're looking damn good today. Maybe they're looking at you because you're the most it's interesting. change the narrative. Yeah. You you're know, the it's most what interesting you person on, in the room. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's what you focus on. And you have to just decide that it's, well, you know, that is what's true. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. She, um, she she starts talking about art history, um, and I think because she'll use it later, right? Especially when she starts talking about abuse, um, she talks about Van Gogh, I guess, because some guy was talking about uh, Van Gogh. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if that's like an Australian pronunciation. Yeah, of Van we Gogh. say Van Gogh. Yeah, Van Gogh. Um, but yeah, it was basically saying that like 
you know, you really shouldn't be on medication because like Van Gogh, I mean, imagine if he was medicated, we would never have the sunflowers. Right, right. And I go back to that all the time as someone who, you know, I've been through therapy and I've dealt with this trauma and I'm like, what should I do when I'm depressed? What should I do when I go to this space? Should I go on medication? And there is that stigma of medication. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, yeah, and this example I thought was so, so fucking beautiful. It Mm -hmm. actually, um, she talks about the sunflowers and he's like, Oh yeah, we, if you, if you, well, if he was on medication, we wouldn't have the fucking sunflowers. Mm-hmm. And, um, she's like, no, <laughs> she, right. just, she totally s- s- explains it. She's like, no, 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 no. The sunflowers, it, it was, he would paint pictures of his psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. He would paint pictures of those people. And he painted pictures of the sunflowers because they were from his brother. Right. And they represented his connection because he was so mentally fucked up. Mm-hmm. His connection to the outside world. Yeah. Yeah. And and that is what is beautiful. And that's what we love to see. Mm-hmm. And that's it, why we have the fucking sunflowers. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. not it's it's not the brightness of the fucking yellow. Yeah. And he and he was on medication and he was being treated. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, all of this, I mean, I I am a big proponent of the artist's way. I've done it a number of a number of times, only three times, but that's it's a twelve week program. That's a commitment. Um I've done the sequel. It is all about negating this idea that to be an artist you must be broke, you must be crazy, you must be hurt, you must be sad it is life-changing marys if you haven't done the artist's way i have a dream of doing like an artist's way like you know uh, study group and just oh. leading people through the artist's way That's fun. um but it it, I, it it really speaks to so much of what she's saying in the art history section that like all of these ideas that we have about being an artist and being creative are bullshit and they're mostly created as like interceptors to stop us from doing our art and stop us from doing what we care about most. It's uh, it, it, it reminds me so much of people that are like, oh, no, you can't because they can't even fathom mm-hmm. that you can or it's their shit that they're putting on to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think uh, as creative people, uh, you and me both. Right. When we're younger. Right. It's like. Oh, well, you need a backup plan. Mm-hmm. You uh, need a backup plan. Oh, you want to go into music? Oh, you need a backup plan. It's like I heard. It's like I, I understand that, yes, yes, you should have multiple sources of income, especially if you're an artist, because the reality is, is that it is a hard business to get into. Yeah. And have a sustainable income. Yeah, absolutely. It can be done more and more now. Every time I see somebody with like a you know, a Patreon or a porn star with an OnlyFans, I think you're making thousands of dollars a month totally. doing your art. God totally. bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah. And I, and you know, or we're thinking of the, the what is that, Second Second Second, world, second, second life? life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, you do not need to suffer mm-hmm. if you want to be creative, if you want to do art. I mean, mm-hmm. granted, I, one of the reasons I left teaching was because I, I wanted more energy and more uh, mental space to create things and to do Mm -hmm. more projects outside of teaching because I would come home and I would have given them everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there'd be a debt. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't need to suffer. It it doesn't, it, you know, it's like I think a lot of a lot of writers, myself included, like in my 20s, I was a big drinker and I really connected this idea that like I, I did kind of write better sometimes when I was drunk. There's, there's people m- say that about writers and mm-hmm. artists because they're uh, kind of seen as gods creating worlds, mm-hmm. and the power is so magnanimous that they I need mean, to be uh, inebriated. I mean, I think that's like a really, I think that's like a, 
it's a it's sort of a derisive way of looking at it. I think I don't see myself as creating a world. I I don't see myself as having this great power that I can't bear. Um, my my excessive drinking has nothing to do with writing and everything to do with the fact that like I had a traumatic childhood uh, sure. and I don't know how to deal with my feelings. And so, right. um, in my twenties, I I dealt with that by drinking and. Uh, there, you know, I, I still have them on my phone because I would, you know, go out and get super drunk at a happy hour, and then I'd be on the train home, and I would like, I would write these notes on the, I, I, they call them like dispatch dispatches on the train home or something like that, and they were these like rambling drunken things, but like I've gone back and read some of them, and I'm like, there's some good lines in there, there's some good ideas. Is in it there. because you're uninhibited? Probably, it's probably that I'm not thinking about it too much. Yeah, you're just um, writing. But I think that but like, you could do that sober. Well, what I'm saying is I think that that creates this idea that like you can only write when you're when you're drunk. Sure. Some people have that with sex. They can only have sex when they're high or drunk or right. whatever because they just can't face it sober. It's the exact same thing. I think that writing writing to me doesn't feel like I'm a god. It's so much more humbling. It feels like I am a single man creating a world. Mm. Um, and that's like, where where am I going to start? Are you a man, Mary? Oh, I... <laughs> M-A-N-N. <laughs> Fuck you, mate. If you like sunflowers so much, buy a bunch and jerk off into a geranium. Jerk off into a geranium. <laughs> oh, McCain, you've done it again. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I like the, the, the line how she says, it's always yelled... Don't be so sensitive. Right. Oh, the the, the irony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the irony of that is is amazing. But yeah, and she she questions like why is insensitive something insensitivity something um, to strive for? Mm -hmm. Why can't we just be in a world where I am telling a story and mm -hmm. I don't have to put myself up as the punchline? Right. Well, I think because sensitivity is looked at as a nervous system gone haywire and not as a finely or a, or a highly uh, tuned gps system sure now a lot of that comes with training you know it doesn't just come that way you know you have to kind of learn how to work with your sensitivity i think um there's a whole concept of like highly sensitive people hsps uh -huh. and, um and this is what they navigate all the time of just like what do i do with the fact that i fucking feel everything right um and how do you turn that into something positive right you know i mean as yeah as a writer it's been really beneficial to be super sensitive because i can pick up all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. and then i just have to synthesize it you know um so in some ways i kind of I, I just thought of this now it's like to be sensitive in a world that needs us to become duller and duller as the day goes by to get away with what it's trying to pull over our eyes mm. you know what i mean right i think that like sensitivity is so important right now because if you're if your radar is off like uh you, it's very easy to get lost sure. right now in, sure. in what's true and what's not yeah you know i just stopped going to a barber that i had been going to for six years um because that barber yes that barber with the pizza Oh, they, yeah, they sometimes had pizza in there. Yeah. Um, I stopped going because every, the past three times that I was in there, um, somebody left and they weren't that happy. Mm -hmm. And the same comment came out of the owner's mouth. It was, ah, it'll grow back. Oh, and yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. I get that. That's probably more for him to cope with the mm -hmm. fact that, yeah, it wasn't a perfect haircut. Yeah. But it's also like, well, that's totally negating the fact that, like, I'm still paying for a haircut. Right. That... I don't like mm -hmm. and it's not that I'm picky it's just that yeah you messed it up right and I can't do much about it and yeah. it's the only thing I can do is wait till it grows back apparently yeah. mm -hmm. and you're telling me something I already knew right instead of allowing me to express my sensitivity mm-hmm right yeah yeah I mean I think because we don't want to <clears throat> rock the boat and I think mm -hmm. it's queer people this uh my my boss at work and I talk about this all the time like we don't want to 
we'd want to rock the boat all the time. Mm-hmm. We don't, we, you know, we're used to just kind of like, okay, yes, 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 yes. Get along to get along. Get along to get along, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Keep calm and carry on. Yeah, or go along to get along. I think it was, yeah, 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 keep calm and carry on, I think, is also a dangerous phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a, Maybe not a dangerous phrase. It's more of a, a coping mechanism. Right. And I think we have to realize that it is a coping mechanism because what is going on is not mm-hmm. easy to carry on. Yeah. And I think that we live in a world right now. And I, on the latest What's the Tea podcast, RuPaul talks about this. Like, of course you're depressed. Like, look at the world. Right. Look at what's going on. And, right. And I think uh, even Hannah Gatsby talks about it. She's just like, yeah, I mean, we have to go outside and go to the movies. We mm-hmm. have to laugh. Yeah. You have to release tension. You have to do those things. You have to not always be focusing on politics. Um, and I, I'm in this space now where I will go to that barbershop and I'll be like, you should just say sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it, it's just like it does come down to things like the types of energies you want to surround yourself with right now. You know, I find myself being very... I, don't, I, I, think, it's, I think to RuPaul's point about how it's like, why would you not be depressed? Like, I think I forget how stressful it is to read the news right now. Like, yeah. I forget. It's like you may not fully be processing it because you can't wrap your brain around what you're looking at right, right. now, but the trauma and the stress of this is absolutely flooding in through the back door. I mean, the World Cup, Wimbledon, that was a wonderful distraction from the the kids in Thailand in the mm-hmm. cave. It's just like that was traumatic mm-hmm. until they were all rescued. Thank God my dad sent an email. Um Otherwise, how would we know? Well, no, I mean, even my dad like celebrated Mm -hmm. it because he recognized that like, yeah, people were all around the world were watching Mm -hmm. and being like, what the fuck is going to happen to these kids? Sure. Um, But like, you know, you 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 need some good news. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and I think and I don't want to, you know, get super political, but I think there are things happening right now that are crossing party lines in terms of like, okay, I think we all agree here that this is like not moving in a good direction. Yeah. And I just... That's a euphemism. <laughs> right. But it, it just doesn't... This this doesn't have a good smell test to it. Right. And I think that, like, when things like that start to happen where it's like, this is beyond how I can even process reality right now, it just puts this, like, premium on things like kind media. Sure. This premium on things like finding your tribe and finding like-minded people. It's... I have I have never felt that need more strongly than now. Right. It's it's the strangest thing. And I think about the media and I relate it to in our history story that she told. But like you, we watch we watch TV shows and it's like you have American Idol, you have The Voice, you have RuPaul's Drag Race, you have this. And they're all kind of like very aggressive media. And mm-hmm. you're like, OK, I have this choice. I have this choice. This choice. They're actually all false choices. Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, they are presenting us with false choices. We actually have a choice. We could turn it off. We could go to this media. We could create our own. We could go to YouTube. We could go find R- Drag Race Thailand. Yeah. Um, and it, it, to, to her point, right, when you look at a picture from art history, right, you have two types of women. You have the virgin or the whore. Yeah. You know, and it, it's a false choice from the patriarchy, mm-hmm. right? It's like, take your pick. Right. It's not a dictatorship. You have a choice. Right, right, right. It's like, no, 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 no. No, <laughs> it's a false choice. Yeah, just because there is two options you've presented does not mean we have choices here. <laughs> yeah, it's not about giving me any options. Right, I'll let you know what I'm going to be. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll let you know what media I I want to watch. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you know what kind of woman I am. You don't need to tell me. Yeah, yeah. and I I think that's um, right. Women have existed longer than clothes. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that that kind of. It, it sort of moves us into, I think, the the real dramatic climax of Nanette, where it's really just about, 
I think when she really reveals the truth about the bus stop and sure. she re- really reveals additional trauma, she doesn't even talk about it being being raped and right. um, you know, just recognizing there's so much more that we're not seeing, but at the same time, I think especially when she's talking about traumas from a younger age and that whole idea of like testing your strength out, te- well, you know, would you test your strength out on me? Ugh. And I think at that moment, that to me feels like that felt so empowering and so healing and flourishing, honestly, for her to say, like, you may have been able to do that to me then, but try it now. Would you do it now? Right. Could you deal with me now? Yeah. And I think that that is, I think especially for people who've had trauma in their past is, you know, when trauma happens in your life, you have this kind of emotional arrested development for whenever that trauma happened. And I think that people can just stay there and not know how to process it beyond how they could have processed it at that age. And it just seemed to me for her to say, would you try your strength out on me? That seemed like this is you processing it as whoever you are today mm-hmm. and not the girl who was raped, not the girl who was beat up, you know, not the girl who right. was, um, you know, surrounded by homophobia in, in her childhood. You know, you know, there's nothing stronger than a broken woman who has rebuilt herself, she says. I mean, put that on a goddamn exactly. tote bag. You know, snaps uh, all the way. Yeah. It was uh, it gave me chills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, she talks about um, uh, she talks about how dangerous it is to be different, mm-hmm. right? Um, that gender roles are highly policed, um, and that it's that her story was not because it was a gay person; it was mm-hmm. because she was not the right gender. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and we talk all the time how homophobia is really rooted in misogyny. Yeah, I mean, I look at someone like Cheyenne Jackson. I'm like, there's a reason why he's popular in straight media, also mm-hmm. because he's easily swallowed. No yeah. pun intended. Uh, I mean, so I hear. Yeah, and I feel like uh, I think about Michelle Visage, and we've mentioned this before. But if Michelle Visage was Michael Visage, mm-hmm. she would not get nearly the same amount of fucking hate. Yeah. that she gets for no- honestly, like people mm-hmm. read her. Be- because oh she's this she's this she's insecure but but it's just like stop it yeah she's a beautiful ally and she's a friend of RuPaul yeah and yeah maybe she does have insecurities so do you yeah because if you're sitting there shitting on another human being I don't know what you think of yourself you right know, then then clearly you can't love yourself very much because you can't love her at all. I, I just don't understand it. If it was Michael Visage, we would mm-hmm. all be like, oh, my God, oh, how great is that? If that, this was a pan-pan-pangina situation. Yeah, well, even even so, if it's like, oh, he's, oh look at this straight guy mm-hmm. that's that's doing this gay show. Oh, sure. What I mean, a beacon of hope. But I think even if it was just, even if Michelle was, was out of drag and then in drag as Michelle Visage. Oh, I see. I think the, I think the mere fact that that Michelle starts as a man would change everything. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the fact that she's got the 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 ovaries to show up as a woman and have an opinion, right? Um, is is the problem? Yeah. Yeah. With her boobs out, yeah. presenting her sexuality like that, and and of course she's going to consistently reference why she's relevant mm-hmm. and why sh- she has a connection to the ball culture and a connection mm-hmm. to RuPaul. It's because she is constantly feeling like she needs to fight for her place at the table. Yeah. And I don't think we need to keep doing that. Yeah. I don't think she needs to fight for a place. She has a spot. Yeah. I mean, and it's a great platform. She takes care of these queens. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah she has that awful character, mm-hmm. right? She has, the, she has the mean judge. She has the Simon Cowell. Yeah. Simon Cowell got away with it. Yeah. RuPaul is playing the monster. He's not RuPaul in drag. That's a character that he plays. Right. And I just think at the end of the day, I, I say it again, straight women will always have a table at the, a, a seat at the table. They will always have a seat at the table. 
I, I will always make sure there's room. Sure. It, it just is baffling to me to not include them. Right. Um, because I just think in so many ways, like, as gay men, there are a lot of ways that, like, straight women, there are so many connections. There's so many things we've endured together. Um, I, you know, lesbians, they, they've been, they, they helped build the table. So, you know, they've been, they've been <laughs> to see the table for a while, you know? God bless them. Um, but I just think that, like, a little I, bit of lesbian humor for it's you. A little, yeah. Oh, and I want to get to that last joke. <laughs> Actually, now I want I want to cut to that now. Okay. Um, because I I set cut that to up. the feeling. I want to cut to the feeling. <laughs> I want to get that air sax out. Um, oh no, that's the other song. That's run away with you. <laughs> Whatever. Um. Uh. So. Uh. So there's that point where she's where Hannah Gadsby is speaking to straight men. Oh my men, god. And it's this like indictment to straight men, and it's like. It's important, you know. I was reading about this. There was some article about, you know, how to be, you know, really how to be a good white ally to black community, and like the most important thing is like, shut up and listen. And if you hear something that might be kind of, you feel like you're being indicted, just relax, relax. and listen. Yeah, because may, you might indeed have a part of this, even if you weren't actively trying to discriminate against anyone. Sure. And I, it's hard because the culture right now is to be is. We're even saying this, like, oh, yes, be sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, call things out that hurt you, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But there's a difference when it comes to power. We're talking about being marginalized. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, but I, I think that, like, there is that thing of just, like, being willing to to just kind of hear each other. And I've, I've lost my point. What was I? Oh, you're going to the joke. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I'm going to the joke. Um, so uh, so she's talking to straight... Oh, yeah, the whole thing of indicting men. Sorry. So she's she's talking to men, and she's... and it is a bit of an indictment and she's and then she says something pull up about, your socks she says and to the men out there pull up your socks and the whole audience is silent because it kind of sounds like pull up your bootstraps pull it together get your shit together yeah and she says a fashion uh fashion critique from a lesbian how humiliating that's the last joke you'll get <laughs> and i felt like that was the most incredible yeah. setup and release of she tension i mean she set up so much tension and then released it and people didn't even know yeah and I, it was that was one of the coolest moments I've ever seen in a comedy show. I've seen Margaret Cho do some similar things. She did this in, in the Notorious CHO when she said, if I stopped looking at myself every time I passed a reflective window, if I stopped studying myself in the mirror, if I stopped judging myself so long on how I looked, how much time would I get back? Turns out about 30 minutes a week. Yeah, right, I could take right. a pottery class. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, the set, it's the same idea, but I think that in Nanette, it's so because of the, the weight of what she's saying. Oh, right. It, the, 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 she the got spike to is so high. high. Mm -hmm. it, she yeah. she totally, totally twisted. Right. So, for anyone who's saying that this isn't a comedy special, that is such an, uh, an expert demonstration sure. of how comedy works. She, she knew exactly, they were in the palm of her hand. Yeah. She knew what she was doing. Yeah. She didn't go off the rails. This no. wasn't a rant. Right. Right, right, but it felt like one, and so when that joke came up, you're it all you're felt like, organic. Oh my god! Oh my god! You're, yeah. Oh, oh, mm -hmm. oh! I've, I've, I'm, I've, right. been, I've been, and hacked. then you're like, right, pull up your fucking socks. <laughs> yes, right, <laughs> and right. stop wearing them with sandals. Oh man! Well, allow them to wear, you know, fashion. I know, I know, but <laughs> can't there be some general things we all agree on, like no. black socks and sandals? No, Mary. Well. No, if people want to live their truth, live their truth. Because you know what? If if I'm Let's gonna say if I'm gonna say I can wear a caftan, I'm gonna be like to my brother-in-law, sure, you can still wear Crocs with socks. <sighs> it's like okay, fine, you do you, I'll do me, and sure, you think I look ridiculous? I think you look ridiculous. Next, we're gonna have Let's people marrying dogs, babies marrying each other. What are we coming to in this world? <laughs> Beauty, Mary. Yeah.
Yeah. Beer. Fashion, ever heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> Lighten up, it's just fashion. Yeah. Lighten Lighten up, it's just fashion. fashion. Um, we should talk about um, this idea how uh, she's not a victim. Her story has value. Mm-hmm. She wants you to know what she knows. To be rendered powerless does not destroy your humanity. Your resilience is your humanity. Um, I feel like this is a good place to kind of like end our discussion on because she is she's calling out these oppressors mm-hmm. as uh, as the weak ones. Yeah. Oh, 110%. That's the truth is that if you really break it down on paper, someone who has to oppress other people in order to feel powerful has nothing in the bank. Right. So to speak. Right. If that's how you have to do it, then you have no sense of your own personal power, your own way of empowering yourself, of loving yourself. I I just cannot understand, unless you have such a profound deficiency, why you need to go out and victimize and manipulate and fuck with other people sure. in order to fill your own tank. I think of that line from the boys in the band mm-hmm. when Bernard calls out uh, the who's the swish. Oh, Emery. Emery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, you know what? I expected from him because that's, I'm going to give him that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give him the racist jokes because I know mm-hmm. that he has much less agency in this world right. than me. Right, right, It's like, it's really stupid. Because he's more womanly. Yeah. Which is worse. Which is worse when you look, we talked about that, where it was like, uh, both gay men, one is black, one is Puerto Rican in, in this iteration of the play, but... The and and both of them have low agency compared to a, all the white men in the room. Yes, but the breaking point is that Bernard is not so obviously gay, and Emery is a big old femme. Right. Yep. And it's again, it's uh, it's the power that's there. It's like yeah. you know what? I'll give it to him. Yeah. It's like Bianca Del Rio telling jokes on stage and literally cutting everybody down. It's mm-hmm. like, well, she's the queer person of color on stage right now yeah if it was a white queen that was just like reading everybody i think of lisa lampanelli it's like this gets a little old sure Mm -hmm. she's a she's a bigger white woman Mm -hmm. but like it it gets a little kind of caustic yeah i mean there's times where bianca does too i think that there are times where bianca will just she'll just kind of fall into like oh fuck you fuck you and i'm like i just think I know you could do better than that. Right. Like, and I saw Bianca's show in Sacramento and it was so fucking good. She is, I mean, it changed my whole point of view on her because I've always thought, oh, she's kind of mean, blah, blah, blah. But I really saw like what she's doing. And I thought, well, if I can love Joan Rivers, then obviously I can love Bianca. Sure. I mean, sometimes comedians are telling those caustic jokes to call yourself out, mm-hmm. the one in the audience mm-hmm. that's laughing or not laughing. Sure, right? yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there is there is a way to do it. I do not like when the when the comedian participates with the audience in any way whatsoever, but that is my own... Right, that's your own That's point. my own shit. Um, so, so again, with the, the weakness versus not weak, right? To yield and not break, that is incredible strength. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to yield. Yeah. Well, and, I, and leading to that place of like anger is not constructive. Right. Like, and I think that is so important right now. I love now that. Because we're all in anger right now for different things. I think anger is very prevalent. And it's, I don't think that it should be tamped down and like put out as quickly as possible. There's a value to it, uh-huh. but I don't think it's the place you act from. Oh, no. I mean, anger is the first emotion. It's the easiest emotion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's also, I mean, anger can be, I remember when I was in college and I was having a really hard time after a breakup. And I had been, you know, seeing the, one of the, the counselors and for months, she was incredible. And we talked about all kinds of things, but I was still very stuck on this. And 
there was one day where I was like, I'm just like, I'm so angry. And she said, anger is not always a bad thing because anger can at least lift you out of the the stagnation of being depressed mm -hmm. and at least move you. It's how you use it. If you use it to, to inflict some kind of harm or to get back at him, then we have a problem. Right. But if you t use your anger as pure energy to get you to go take care of yourself, go for a walk, go feed yourself, because you you refuse to keep feeling this way, that's there is positivity in that. Sure. And I feel like Hannah Gatsby, she insists that she, she doesn't want to... Anger is never constructive. Like She doesn't want to live in that world anymore. She doesn't want to unite you with laughter or anger. She just wants to unite you with her story, right? Yeah. This idea that uh, anger won't relieve the tension. That's not what this is about. Uh, it's that the story is the cure. Mm -hmm. Laughter is the honey, she says. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't want her story to, to be defined by anger. Um, so she, that's why she it's the call to help her take care of her story. Yeah. yeah. Um, I the idea that, you know, don't spread anger because anger can connect people to I think of the Internet. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that in, I think I've talked about this in the podcast before, but that invisibility podcast that talked about um, what makes something go viral more is when it's hatred and fear mm -hmm. and anger and that's fucked up. Yeah. Well, in this sort of like call out culture, I was reading this this article about. Um, this music critic and she had tweeted some critiques of Nicki Minaj. She'd been a fan of Nicki Minaj's, but she had said, you know, essentially like, oh, it'd be really interesting to see her cover more mature content. It, just this was her take on things. I don't think she had tagged her in it, expressed herself the way we all express ourselves on Twitter. Well, the whatever Nicki Minaj's fan base is called, they went wild on that made sure Nikki knew about it. Nikki sent her a DM reading her for Phil. It went, I mean, she got harassed mercilessly online, lost an internship. I mean, it was this whole shit show because all of these people were just united by anger that was so much larger than what she had said. She, the things that have been said about Nicki Minaj on Twitter, I imagine, are far worse than this critique of some work that she'd done or some uh, this suggestion that maybe she could look at other content mm. and then for Nicki Minaj to jump in and like stir her fans up to go after this woman I, to me it was like what we're doing here is feeding into the addiction that anger creates the sure. addiction of that adrenaline rush of, sure. I'm gonna fuck with you and it's gonna empower me and it and it feels good it's masked as truth Right? Of, of course, of course, that like you are teaching someone a lesson, you're bringing judgment or justice, right? You know, you're setting someone straight. We need to call someone out and set them straight, and the only way to do that is to is to attack them attack mercilessly, them yeah. and, and and you know try to ruin their lives, right? Um, As opposed to a dialogue of like, hey, mm -hmm. or just like move the fuck on. If you don't right. agree, find an opinion you do agree with. There's lots of people that think Nicki Minaj doesn't need to change a thing. Sure. Go talk to them. Yeah. It just, it, like me, I don't think she does. Sure, and I don't really <laughs> listen to her music, so I don't really give a shit what she does. It doesn't really affect my life one way or the other, unless it's a lip sync on Drag Race, um, in, the, in which case then I'm familiar with her work. I'm just right. not a fan. Right. I'm not one of her fans. Um, but to be <laughs> honest with you, I mean, to be real, after I read that story, I was like, and now I'm not a fan of her as a human being. What, yeah. a, what, a, what a shitty way to use your platform. Mm. So come for me, Nikki fans. Come for me. Oh, no. No, don't. it's ironic because I can't imagine anyone listening to this podcast is that type of person. Or, I think so much higher or of our taking, Or taking what you're saying as a, 
like I'm now going to come for you. It's like that's not really what this conversation was about at all. No, I think I think everyone's so much smarter than that. Okay. No. Yes. Um so yes, uh connection. Yeah, I mean um, that is the uh we talked about that on Tuesday, but that that in terms of addiction, connection is the uh is the antidote, yeah. you know? It's it's it, yeah, the tether. Yeah, I mean that's, you know, 12-step programs and and rehab and detox, they'll they'll get you out of the addiction, but or the substance, but they won't save you from the addiction. Right, exactly. Um, I love that she ends this special with Ryle O'Kiley's mm-hmm. A Better Son or Daughter. Ugh. We will end our podcast with it. Spoiler um, alert. Yeah. It is a wonderful, wonderful song. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to listen to this in college all the time. This is such a college anthem. Yeah, it's yeah. such a good song. Listening to it now as an adult, I still love it because I, I I'm so... I appreciate that it doesn't speak to my direct experience right now, but I still know what it's talking about. I appreciate that I'm not in that space anymore because oh, it's a hard space to be in. Sure. You know? I mean, just to read the main kind of refrain and sometimes when you're on, you're really fucking on and your friends, they sing along and they love you, but the lows are so extreme that the good seems fucking cheap and it teases you for weeks in its absence, but you'll fight and you'll make it through. You'll fake it if you have to. And you'll show up for work with a smile and you'll be better and you'll be smarter and more grown up and a better son or daughter and a real good friend. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's so fucking good. Ugh. It's so fucking good. It goes on and on and she keeps listing Uh it. You'll be positive though it hurts and you'll laugh and embrace all your Mm -hmm. friends. (laughs) And then there's whatever, whatever last one she ends on. It's like that's where she starts to cry. You know what I mean? You'll be handsome and you'll be beautiful. You'll be happy. You'll be happy. And it's like it's almost like she breaks at that point. Yes. Uh, Maybe it's just me breaking. I don't know. But (laughs) I always love that part. Um, Oh God. Yeah. No, the song is so great because it starts off. Um. Uh, even the vocals are kind of muddled, yep. right, mm-hmm. and yeah. covered, and it's kind of like coming from a from a phone. Yeah, or something. yeah. Well, Matreon alum Jenny Lewis, she yes, knew what was up. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, right. yeah. Um, yeah, and then the song just kind of turns on. Yeah. Uh, to meet this new self, this mm-hmm. new emergence, and I, as someone who has also been depressed, like you know that feeling, Marys, right? Like there's a there's a shroud. And then there's not a shroud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think there's something very cathartic about this song that I think also comes with depression of like, it, it's like I I just need to get all of this out. I just need to get this out because it's like it's this anvil inside of my body. Yeah, and, and so, that's Anna be special. That's not it. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's what it is. It's it's getting that anvil out and saying, "Can you help me carry this? Yeah, I can't carry it anymore. Ugh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah." Uh, this I'm so glad we uh, I'm so glad I, I, I'm so glad we did this episode because the one on Tuesday this is so much better yeah um, that was a good dry, good dry run um, but yeah uh, it's pretty wet for me yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm a cane um, <laughs> yeah no this is super fun um, and uh, I I would love to hear from our Marys um, and I, we've heard from some and we'll get back to you um, but what's been so exciting is hearing about like what this has what Nanette has said to or spoke to or opened up or illuminated for people yeah. you know and like what it's connected to i totally. think um i think when people say it's not a comedy special i'd say it's not just a comedy special no it's not just a comedy special yeah. right yeah, i think it's, that's it's the, definitely special yeah it, it, the special part is true it's definitely special it's certainly special um and it's very funny oh my god it's yeah. so fucking funny yeah it's it's, it's great she is like She's so brilliant hopelessly charming like and, it, yeah. and and you know what i know that she wants to quit comedy i'm like great go be an art docent yeah 
Go hang out with your adorable dogs. Do whatever you want. Yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah. I will not be pining for mm-hmm. you to do something that you don't want to do. Right. And if you want to make it available for me to see or experience or contribute to, let me know and I will. Right. Um, I do want to mention I loved, um, I think in the way that the, she says that that line about the teacup finding its saucer is like one of her favorite lines. And she says it's very emblematic of who she is. Like that really sums her up. Like I feel like my love of best supporting actresses sums me up. Mm. That tells you a lot about who I am. I gotcha. And I feel like that little micro moment at the end with her with her dogs and the one dog's like chewing its ass and the other one is just like looking. And then she looks at that dog like, I don't know what he's doing. (laughs) It's just like that tells me everything about who this woman is. And I just, um, I just want nothing but good for her. You know, that's how I feel ending this completely. Yeah. Well, Mary's, uh, you know where to find us. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at all right, Mary, or better yet, you can email us at all right, Mary podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.allrightmary.com and email us through there. Um, I'm Johnny also on Instagram. So you can go ahead and follow me there if you'd like. Um, And you of course can find more of me on my podcast in the details, including my most recent episode, call me by your dad's name in which I go off and call me by your name and then celebrate the father and his monologue at the end um, trying to find the balance you know um, find the nuance um, but you can also find me on twitter at colin drucker and you can find more of both of us at patreon.com backslash all right mary if you want more bonus episodes like this that's the place to go because yeah. we put out one every week yeah we we did clock watchers last week yep and this week we are doing the associate yes yeah with Whoopi goldberg and, and the wees the wees well the, and and it's just Stevie worth Newell. noting the wees and allison jan um, <laughs> the Weast in she plays the grandmother in Rabbit Hole. She's the one who has the monologue about the rock in the pocket. Oh wow! And so it's the <gasps> Weast. Ah, it's God. the Weast who's responsible. I mean, she didn't write it, but it's the Weast who's responsible. Diane Weast would play my mother in oh. a movie about me. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Michael Kors shoes and all. Yes, yeah, no, exactly. I can, I can, uh, exactly. I can confirm that is true. <laughs> um, well, anyway, Marys, yeah, you should uh, do that. You can also uh, give us a review on iTunes. Oh, I forgot. I mean, w- after all that, maybe you want to head over to iTunes. Maybe after this Nanette review, it's worth saying. Oh, have I given all right, Mary? Um, a rating and a review on iTunes yet? Maybe now's the time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do want to just say, um, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to just say. I'll save that for the next episode. Got Never it, mind. Mary. Never mind. Um, well, Marys, we are going to leave you with that uh, and our our song, uh, Better Son or Daughter by Rilo Kylie. So please enjoy and have a wonderful week. Oh, my kind. <laughs> <laughs>